Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian, a podcast designed to help you build deeply rooted practical theology. Let's get to work. All right, friends, welcome to episode seven of Farmer Theologian. I have titled this episode On Assurance um, because I want to touch on this vital, vital topic that sadly is um, confused far too often. But before we begin that, I wanted to uh, again express to you my gratitude for your support and encouragement uh, with starting this podcast. Um, I'm very thankful uh, for those of you who have been listening and offering feedback. Uh, It's been a great encouragement to me, and I pray that the episodes and their content have been a great encouragement to you. My uh, deep desire is that this would be an encouragement to the people of God, and so I pray that it is that. Today, we are going to look at the topic of assurance. What is assurance? I want to spend some time uh, giving a biblical understanding of assurance, maybe uh, addressing some things that might be confusing to you or to someone you know, and then also I want to give you uh, some resources at the end to help if you are struggling with this idea of or this concept of assurance. Well, to begin with, I wanted to again look at what is a biblical understanding of assurance. What comes to your mind when I even say the word assurance? What does it mean? Well, I began by my preparation by looking at the authoritative source, dictionary.com, for some definitions of assurance. And I was somewhat surprised to see there are a lot of definitions offered for assurance. Let me give you the first three. Again, this is from dictionary.com. The first definition offered is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. Second, a promise, pledge, guarantee, or surety. And then third, full confidence or freedom from doubt, certainty. That's just the first three definitions. Again, there were multiple other definitions, but from that you can see that this word assurance can often carry a breadth of meaning in our thinking, and we can mean different things by assurance in different contexts. Well, what do we mean by assurance when we're thinking biblically of the doctrine or the concept of assurance? Well, again, I turn to another dictionary, this the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, edited by Elwell, and he offers this definition, quote, assurance of faith or assurance of salvation denotes the confidence of the believer in Christ that notwithstanding his mortal sinful condition, he is irrevocably a child of God and an heir of heaven. Let me read that again for you in case you're driving or or moving while you're listening to this. This is again from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. It says, quote, Assurance of faith or assurance of salvation denotes the confidence of the believer in Christ that notwithstanding his mortal sinful condition, he is irrevocably a child of God and an heir of salvation. Now, I think that's a helpful definition, uh, but I think it still leaves us some room to uh, clear up and to really nail down what we're talking about when it comes to assurance. And I want to encourage you today that one of the reasons I think this doctrine is uh, difficult for some people and, and confusing to some people is that we uh, don't often think rightly about the distinction between uh, the reality of assurance and the feeling of assurance. Again, the reality of assurance versus the feeling of assurance. What do I mean by that? Well, when talking about the reality of assurance, the truth is that all who are in Christ have assurance. 
we have assurance. It is sure that we are uh, irrevocably children of God and heirs of heaven, to borrow the language from L. Wells' Dictionary of Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. That is the truth about us. We are, if we are in Christ, we are irrevocably his children and heirs of heaven. Why is that? Well, that's because salvation does not in any way depend on us. Not in any way. Let me show you this from a couple of scriptures. I want to take a cue from my podcasting heroes here, uh, Virgil Harrison in uh, <laughs> Virgil Har- Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker of the Just Thinking podcast and get you to turn some pages. So if you're able with me, follow along in your scripture. But if not, come back to this podcast when you have a Bible handy, get it out and follow along with these scriptures. The first one I'm going to read to you is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory Friends, this passage makes clear, and I'm sure you've heard this before. This is one long, beautiful sentence in the Greek language, and it makes clear one apparent and abundant truth. Salvation is a work of God according to his plan for his glory. You'll hear theologians talk about this in a threefold aspect, that salvation is planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The truth is that salvation is completely God's work, and it is a Trinitarian work. All three persons of the Trinity work together in perfect harmony to accomplish our salvation. The fullness of the Godhead is at work in accomplishing our salvation. It is His complete and perfect work for His own glory. Friends, this is a glorious truth, and this we cannot go too far into our study of assurance without this understanding. Because when we understand that our salvation is completely His work, then we see that our assurance is a reality because it does not depend on us. And Paul goes on to make that clear in Ephesians chapter 2. He says uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Listen, friends, salvation is completely a work of God. 
by grace through faith. And even that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. We don't have anything to boast about in contributing to our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, and that even in of itself is a gift from God so that no one would boast. And then he he emphasizes this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, and even those are prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All of our salvation, beginning to end, every part of it is a work of God. Paul also talks about this in talking about the gospel in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Friends, the gospel is the power of God, not the power of man, the power of God unto salvation. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God, Christ's perfect righteousness is revealed, that is accounted and accredited to us from faith, from his perfect faithfulness to the faith of the believers. Faith is the means by which God's righteousness is revealed to or accounted to believers. It is the basis of our salvation. His righteousness, which comes to us by means of faith, And even that faith is a gift of God, as we saw in Ephesians 2. Listen, friends, you will not stand before God and point to your faithfulness. You will not stand as those in Matthew chapter 7 who said, No, no, I'm faithful. Look at all these things I did in your name. You will only stand before God if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If you have Christ's perfect righteousness credited to your account by faith. That is the basis of our standing before God. That is our assurance. If it in any way depended upon us, we would fail in every way. If we had to maintain our salvation, we would fail. Every single moment of every single day, we would fail. But friends, our salvation and our assurance is because of what Christ has done, what he has done for us. This is a sure, steady confidence. But here's the problem, friend. Even though assurance is a reality, even though our salvation is assured because it is a work of God, it is a work of Christ on our behalf, we still often doubt. We still often lack the feeling of assurance. Sometimes our feeling of confidence and assurance in our salvation can waver. It does this because of sin, because we have this ongoing battle with the flesh where we do the very things we hate, as as Paul says in Romans 7. We have the passing of time between our salvation and our sanctification and glorification. If it if it was so amazing in the will of God that we would, you know, immediately go from salvation to glorification, we would maybe not doubt our assurance. We maybe not doubt our salvation. But because in God's perfect plan there is a passing of time between our salvation and our progressive sanctification and our glorification, we often have these periods where our feeling again our our thinking about, our understanding of assurance can waver. So what do we do in those times, friends? What do we do when we doubt, when we have this uh, lacking in our feeling of assurance? Well, let me encourage you two things. First, do a little self-examination. Are you truly trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our sal- for your salvation? You see, the feeling of assurance may be lacking because you lack the reality of assurance. And let me give you a, a, a 
easy way or a, or a quick way, so to speak, um, to understand this and hopefully to do this self-examination. How do you respond when you sin? If every time you sin, you doubt your salvation, it could be that you are trusting in your own righteousness. And this act of unrighteousness leads you to doubt your salvation because you're trusting in your own righteousness and your conscience is convicting you, letting you know that you are not righteous. You are not righteous enough to earn salvation. On the contrary, if when you sin, you grieve your sin, remind yourself that, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and seek the Lord in confession and in asking for his enabling power to help you to walk by his kindness in repentance. Well, friend, that is responding to that sin by trusting in Christ and his righteousness. So again, think about that. When you sin, do you immediately think, oh, I can never be saved. Look at the sin. That could could be evidence that you are trusting in your own righteousness and not Christ. On the contrary, if you grieve your sin, yes, but you quickly remind yourself of your freedom from that guilt of sin, that that sin is paid for in Christ Jesus, and seek him, not run from him as Adam did in the garden, but seek him in confession and in asking for him to enable you by his power, according to his grace, to walk in forgiveness. That shows a trust in Christ's righteousness and not your own. And then the other thing I would tell you, dear friend, along with a little self-examination, if you are dealing with and wrestling with a lack of assurance, let me encourage you to remind yourself of the truth of salvation. Remind yourself of what is true. When you don't feel like it, remind yourself that it is true. You could do that as we've just uh, done here briefly by going through scriptures that talk about your salvation, going through scriptures that talk about the assurance that we have in Christ, going through the scriptures and seeing what is true and reminding yourself of that truth, that salvation is God's work, and that his work of salvation is fully and perfectly accomplished. If you are struggling with assurance, friend, meditate on his grace and the truths of salvation. Start first in scripture, of course, but I also want to give you, as I mentioned at the beginning, a couple of helpful resources to encourage you in this. I'm going to recommend for you three books, and they're all written by dead guys not dead when they wrote, but they're dead now. But these books have stood the test of time and are great reminders of the truth of our salvation and the true uh, glories of His grace. The first book that I would recommend to you is a book called The Bruised Read by Richard Sibbs. This is just a tremendous book that shows us that Christ will not crush the bruised reed, will not quench the smoking flax. It is a Christ-exalting Puritan paperback uh, that will be a blessing to you. It does. It is Puritan work, so it, it takes some careful reading, but it will be a great blessing to you. Again, that's The Bruised Read by Richard Sibbs. The second book is also a Puritan paperback that I would recommend to you. It is The Heart of Christ by Thomas Goodwin. Uh, again, I'd recommend on both of these to get the Puritan paperback version uh, from Banner of Truth. Uh, sometimes you can find cheaper versions of Puritan works on Amazon or other places online, but they're not always the best copy, but the Puritan paperbacks are really great because they're economical and they're really good quality copies. Um, but The Heart of Christ is the second one again, and the original title of this is The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. It really is a great book for understanding uh, Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and his continued intercession on behalf of believers. Again, that's The Heart of Christ by Thomas Goodwin. And then the third book that I will recommend to you 
is a book by Stephen Charnock called Christ Crucified. Uh, this is without a doubt my favorite book apart from the Bible. I uh, highly recommend this um, for a number of reasons, but particularly if you were dealing with a lack of assurance and want to remind yourself of the glories of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, this is a book that will help you do that. Um, it is a tremendous book. It is very Christ-exalting, and it it really forces the reader to meditate on all aspects of Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, it really begins, um, it has kind of a three-part thing. It has the um, an explanation of Christ crucified. It has a uh, then a discourse on Christ as the Passover, the greater Passover. Uh, and then it talks about at the end kind of the voluntariness of Christ's death. But all three aspects of this force you to just meditate on Christ's sacrifice. Um, and it really is great. I want to give you uh, just a little bit of a preview of this book just to help you um, hopefully whet your appetite for reading this book. Uh, the I want to read a couple sections for you, but the first is um, this great paragraph that talks about Christ's sacrifice as an act of chiefest love, an act of chiefest love. I just love the way that sounds. Let me read to you. This is, um, again, from uh, Christ Crucified by Stephen Charnock. He says, quote, God at the creation beheld man, a goodly frame of his own rearing, adorned with his own image, beautified with his graces, embellished with holiness and righteousness, and furnished with the power with a power to stand. Afterwards, God beheld him ungratefully, rebelling against his sovereign, invading God's rights, and condemning God's goodness, forfeiting his own privileges, courting his ruin, and sinking into misery, so blinded in his mind as not to be able to find out a way of his own recovery, so perverse in his will that instead of craving pardon of pardon of his judge, he flies from him, and when his flight would not advantage him, he stands upon his own defense and extenuates his crime, thus adding one provocation to another, as if he had an ambition to harden the heart of God against him and render himself irrevocably miserable. God so overlooks these as in immense love and grace to settle away from man's recovery without giving any dissatisfaction to his justice, so strongly engaged for the punishment of the offense. And rather than this notorious rebel and prodigious apostate should perish according to his desert, God would transfer the punishment, which he could not remit without a violation of his truth and an injury to his righteousness upon a person equal to himself, most beloved by him, his delight from eternity and his infinitely dear and infinitely dearer to him than anything in heaven on earth what a beautiful passage i feel like i can't even do it justice reading it out loud like it it should be read in some greater voice than mine but what a great reminder that christ was sent in god's perfect plan to accomplish the pardon of sinners who all we do are like adam we fly and then we try to stand there and give reasons for our sin that only compound our sin. And yet God chose to give his dear son in our place. What glorious truth, friend. Again, that should give us assurance, knowing that it's not in our ability to accomplish our pardon. We would simply fly. But God sent his son in an act of choicest love 
for us. Charnock goes on in this book to really lay out, and this is really the bulk of the book, he lays out systematically the fact that Christ is the greater Passover and the great implications of that and applications of the believer. And that's where I want to read. I'll just sum these up. It, it goes over several pages, these applications to the believer that Christ is the Passover. But again, I want to give you this summary and hopefully you'll pick up this book and read it and be encouraged by what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. Again, this is the applications. If Christ be a sacrifice, he says, quote, we may see the miserable blindness of the Jews in expecting the Messiah as a temporal conqueror. If Christ be a sacrifice, this is second. If Christ be a sacrifice, it shows the necessity of satisfaction of the just of God and a higher satisfaction than men could perform. Third, if Christ as sacrificed is the true and immediate object of faith. If Christ be a sacrifice, then he must be the true and immediate object of faith. What a glorious reminder that is, friends. Fourth, if Christ be a sacrifice, it is no true opinion or false idea, you could say, that Christ died only for an example. If Christ was sacrificed, if he was the uh, greater um, greater Passover, the greater Passover lamb, there's no way that it could just merely be an example of sacrifice. And fifth, if Christ be the greater Passover, listen to this, friend, Christ gives comfort to every believer. If Christ is truly, which he is, the, the greater Passover, then this gives comfort to every believer because Christ has been sacrificed for us and that sacrifice has been accepted by the Father and this sacrifice unites us in Christ. Friends, this is glorious, glorious, encouraging truth. And so let me encourage you, friends, if you are doubting your salvation. Perhaps you're thinking too much about yourself and your own righteousness, and you're putting faith in your own righteousness. Remind yourself, dear friend, of what is yours in Christ. He is the greater Passover. He is the great sacrifice that accomplishes our redemption. Put no faith in yourself, but only faith in Christ. Friend, if you have never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you as you listen to this, turn to Christ. Apart from Him, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But with Him, you can have eternal life and an eternal life that is sure, that is fixed, that is eternally glorious. But that only comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone as our sacrifice, as our substitute as the one who paid the penalty for our sin. So let me encourage you, friend, if you've never trusted in Christ, do it today. Believe in Christ and live. Well, friends, that's it for episode seven of Farmer Theologian. I pray this is a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. If you are struggling with assurance, dear friend, go to the scriptures, see the truth that is ours in Christ, and just meditate on that truth. Thanks for listening to Farmer Theologian as we continue to build deeply rooted practical theology.